Hi, folks. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming at you live from uh, our podcasting HQ. Well, we're actually recording this remotely from two secret locations. I'm technically it's one virtual studio. I'm at the bottom of the ocean in a secret lair at the moment, beneath a volcano. I'm on the dark side of the moon. Very nice. Um, so, and together, <laughs> this is the High Hopes <laughs> podcast. <laughs> what an intro! Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. welcome back to episode two. I hope you liked the first one. Would you like to, let, let me see, would you like to talk about uh, some Halloween stuff, seeing as it's the 10th of October and Halloween is drawing near? I know, I have pretty much like outlined a few films I want to watch now. Um, I actually really like Halloween for that reason alone, just a, there's a shitload of movies really to be catching yeah. up on, but uh, Hocus Pocus. That's a classic. And Return of the Living Dead, that's another one. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually hoping now to get squeeze in as well. So you were saying uh, Hocus Pocus is yeah. a childhood classic, and uh, I'd have yeah. to agree with you there. I mean, I literally, like, there's so many films from my childhood that, like, they just randomly pop into my head, or they're referenced in another movie or show, and I'll go, oh, yeah, I'll give that a watch. But I Hocus Pocus, since watching it as a kid, it has never come up, like, at all, until recently when Disney, of course, announced that they're doing... A sequel, which is, uh, you know, common for Hollywood nowadays. Just take current intellectual properties and just <laughs> squeeze as much money as you possibly can out of them. But uh, yeah, no, just all the, the marketing and the trailers and the posters for the new Hocus Pocus just made me realize, you know, I need to put some time aside to watch the original because I vividly remember playing it to death on my VCR. I'm not sure if we actually got it on video or we just recorded it from TV, but uh yeah, no, it's something for the whole family because I don't know what it is with our mothers are from our mother's generation. They loved Beth Midler for some reason. <laughs> I was um, just about to say Beth Midler is a legend. Um, I, I don't even. <laughs> I know she mm. used to be in lots of things back in the day. I don't really know her from much else off the top of my head, but um, yeah, she was great. I had no idea until uh, looking up this movie because it's many years since I last watched it. I had no idea that Sarah Jessica Parker was one of the witches. But she you is. Serious? <laughs> yeah. And she looked way more beautiful back then in 1993. Uh, it's like looking at a different person. Um, yeah. And of course, I'm not referring to aging or anything. I'm referring to plastic surgery. But that's another topic. <laughs> um, and then, of course, who could forget old Kathy Najimi? Who is the other witch, the less famous actress? Uh, Wasn't she in Sister Act or something? Because that's the—I think that's the only thing I can yeah, remember exactly. her from. She yeah, was, she's in Sister right. Act, and yeah, just this Hocus Pocus. I'm surprised I didn't see her in much else. She was a good comedic, you know, type of presence for Hocus Pocus. But Jesus, man, I can't believe you forgot about Sarah Jessica Parker. She was the one thing I remember from that film. <laughs> like even as a kid, I was like, God damn, she's beautiful. No, I know, I I remembered her character, but I didn't know that that was the actress. I suppose back when I was watching it, I didn't really know who Sarah Jessica Parker was. Um, so mm. 
But uh, no. yeah, I don't really remember much of the plot, but I guess the witches are resurrected by a, a teenage boy. And, um, you know, those teenage boys are always fecking shit up. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, then it's up to a couple of kids to kind of get rid of them again before they ruin everything in town. And that's... So that, yeah. that's the plot of the new one, is it? That's the first one. I... I oh. assume they just are reincarnated again by some yeah. innocent kid in the sequel. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be surprised now if you were just reciting what the new what the, the storyline for the the new one is. Because really, what what can you do with this kind of you know material? <laughs> There's three witches that need to what suck the youth out of kids in order to That's prolong. That's what it was, wasn't it? Yeah, to, to yeah. keep their their well, not really immortality, but to keep their you know, long-lasting youth um, mm. going. Yeah, and I vaguely remember, sure, it would have done better to actually watch the movie in preparation for this podcast, but I do remember there's like a song that was released from the film, like Bette Miller mm. sang it, I put a spell on you, I think it was more of a cover, but uh, yeah, I remember that being constantly played in or around the time it was released. What when was it? It was released in 93, so... Jesus, I was four when that came out. I don't think I watched it when I was four, probably when I was a bit older, but uh, Jesus. Yeah, it's mental, isn't it? Yeah, um, God. Oh, 93, God love him. So to go to move on from uh, the more child-friendly horror stuff, um, you were going to talk about The Return of the Living Dead. Yes, it's one of my favourite horror films, and it's a, a must-see every Halloween, but... Um, yeah, no, I've uh, I've been kind of finding YouTube. I don't know since uh, since those infamous Star Wars criticisms that, that came out in 2011. Like it really just launched the video essay format on YouTube, and I found like in the last couple of years, a lot of people like myself are just uh, you know returning to the Return of the Living Dead <laughs> after so many years of just just seeing it as just one of those random 80s uh, you know zombie exploitation films but i rewatched it uh like a, like a few years back now in preparation for halloween just you know just kind of revisiting all these films that i used to watch and like i don't know i've just gained such a bigger appreciation for the entire film like uh, in adulthood like i didn't really watch it as a kid i watched it more in my late teens and even yeah. then, uh, as I'm sure anybody who's seen it, <laughs> they can <laughs> they know exactly why I watched it so much as a team. But uh, in like I don't know, Jesus, I don't know what it is about the film nowadays and how it kind of affects me. But I guess it's just so bleak and comedic at the same time. But weirdly enough, all the characters are playing it straight, and they find like I guess it was the original mumblecore film <laughs> as, as well, <laughs> as a lot of characters are constantly talking over each other. And I believe they actually did a rehearsal for like two weeks to try and get that down where you can hear specific key words in the midst of like all these people essentially yelling at each other. What do we do? What do we do? And all this. So, yeah, no, it's probably one of my favorite films. And it's an interesting kind of tale really of how it came to be was that uh, it's kind of the love child of John Russo, who is a a writing partner of George A. Romero that many people consider to be the the godfather of the zombie genre. But uh, John Russo and George A. Romero went their separate ways, essentially. And Romero kept the rights to the title of The Living Dead, whereas Romero kept the rights to The Dead. So uh, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, they're all Romero films. Any films that have of the living dead are usually uh, Russo's. Uh, basically, they have his fingers all over it. But uh, I believe in uh, 
in 83 when the film was actually being commissioned uh the script was bought uh essentially for the only reason that it had of the living dead in the title because that was essentially why the studio only bought the script because Russo didn't do much after his partnership with Romero he was uh known for creating complete schlock just really some <laughs> hacky just hacky crappy there's one called santa claus with claws c-l-a-w-s oh christ so, <laughs> that sounds bad yeah, right yeah, very very cheap and kind of like tacky type of films but uh this uh like return of the living dead was definitely a standout not because of its uh, had anything to do with russo's creativity but it was really just bought for the title of the name because it was the original script was completely rewritten, rewritten from scratch like from page one nothing was spared and it, it's just i don't know it's just a great film it kind of established a lot of the the zombie lore that a lot of people think romero was responsible for and most notably uh eating brains to survive like a lot of people just assume that that lore was already established when zombie the whole zombie genre was created but uh Brains. No, exactly <laughs> yeah Sorry, i had to and do that into my microphone annoyingly no, no, that's essentially how it comes across in the film. It's actually perfect. Like, are you sure you haven't seen it? <laughs> but I found as well, like a lot of people complained when 28 Days Later came out, they were complaining about running zombies. But here we are back in 1984. Uh, the zombies in this film are, they, they run, they talk and everything. So I don't know. They talk as well? Yeah. No, there's one scene where essentially uh, cops show up and just try and investigate what's going down some something has happened and not to give too much away but basically uh, they get swarmed by the zombies and they essentially get killed and then there's this throwaway gag scene where one of the zombies walks up to the police cruiser gets on the walkie-talkie and says send more cops (laughs) so (laughs) it's definitely to be recommended i definitely it's uh yeah i don't know what it is i wouldn't call it a dark comedy because it's played like what well, it's not necessarily played for laughs but a lot a large aspect of the film is a comedy intentionally of course it would be you know a shame if it was unintentionally or the kind of laughing at the film rather than with it but uh yeah no it's one of my faves and i'm looking forward to watching it in a oh god probably about two weeks time now i try not to waste my halloween films you know weeks before halloween comes around but yeah yeah i mean i um, I, I, I've sort of got zombie fatigue because a lot of the modern zombie films are really just the same mm. old shit every time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, I did love uh, 28 Days Later, around the time that came out. That was very, very cool. Good old Killian Murphy. And uh, mm. I saw Night of the Living Dead, which was the black and white one from 1968 with um, Dwayne L. Jones starring as Ben. He was the first uh, African American with a with a starring kind of hero role in a horror film, according to Wikipedia. I remember hearing mm-hmm. as much, um, but I just wanted to look that up to be sure of what I was saying. Um, yeah. That was a that was a really cool, you know, definitely um, the kind of granddaddy of a lot of the um, B movies. Really cheap, mm. low budget, uh, but but still full of love. Uh, for the craft and uh, just a great film as well and and I don't know I tried watching that recent Resident Evil series on Netflix I think it was oh, and God. it was just really really bad I, I wanted <laughs> to like it but I couldn't and I, I don't watch any of these com- comedy zombie things that come out as TV shows or any of that stuff it's just not that funny to me um, no. but I can appreciate the old ones when they were first coming out like because 
they actually were fresh back then fresh meat if yeah. you will yeah they weren't as exploitative as i find like a lot of zombie genres are today it was made with love really back then because no one really knew what they were establishing like no yeah. like they even for 1968 they wouldn't have never have known that they were creating one of the most uh like tangible recognizable you know uh identifiable type of like horror genre really going when it comes to zombies but um yeah, no, I found, uh, like, even just to touch on that, like, I find there's, like, a lot of um, kind of uh, throw, throwbacks to the Night of the Living Dead, just in regards to that uh, African-Americans in the film. There is one, and there is a notable kind of scene where they point out, like, no, you're coming with me, son. And it's like, why is that? And it's like, well, usually in these scenarios, the black kid goes first, and I want to look after you. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's kind of, it's uh, I kind of enjoyed the film as well for that kind of aspect is very meta as well you know it's kind of poking fun at the tropes that usually a lot of uh, horror films in hollywood succumb to so yeah um before we get too uh bogged down in, in zombies uh mm. we should we should we should move along um yeah yeah so you had mentioned the nightmare before christmas from 1993 the the i always thought a tim burton film but he was actually just the executive producer slash creator it was, yes. in fact, directed by Henry Selick. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think a... Tim Burton gets way too much credit for that film. Like, obviously, it has his stamp all over it. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, given the amount of work that goes into stop motion, I wish uh, kind of more emphasis was put on the people who actually produced it. Like, really pr- brought it to life as, as opposed to just producing it in name only like Tim Burton did. I think he really just had the concept and the artwork down. But yeah. Henry Selick hats off to you man jesus christ i i like can't get over the amount of effort and time i think he did caroline as well that came out oh caroline was so good that was great yeah oh wait Coraline, right Coraline. Coraline, that was it yeah, yeah. but uh, uh, that was like i always try and kind of uh i watch it twice a year usually nightmare before christmas like it's a perfect kind of seasonal movie like one set halloween and again at christmas and it's a relatively short film. Like, I didn't realize that. It's not even 90 minutes. Like, so I'm not sure it even got full distribution. Like, I, I do realize that Disney had uh, a bit of apprehension about releasing it on their Disneyland. Like, um, I forget what their, their their VHS line was in the 90s. But they released it on Touchstone because they felt that a lot of children would have found it too, too scary. But I don't know. Jesus, like, maybe... I don't know. Maybe kids today, you know, they're very kind of sheltered, like from stuff like this. But <laughs> I don't know. It, 90s... it did have a few. It had like one or two kind of jump scare type moments, I think, and like evil cackling, creepy looking dudes. You know, you could kind of understand yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's just kind of this the, the claymation or the stop motion. It kind of just I don't know. It, it takes away the impact of the, the horror. I was kind of more just like wide eyed watching it as a kid. Like, and now I'm just kind of more appreciative of the technical quality of the film. I'm very. I love me some claymation films, but um, I only found out tonight uh, that Danny Elfman, the famous movie composer, uh, mm. was the singing voice for Jack Skellington, the main character. That was that's mental. I had no yeah, idea I, he sang. I, I, I assume that he was he did the entire voice, but yeah, no, apparently, yeah, like yeah, just what was his name there, Chris Sarandon? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize they had two voices for the character Jack Skeleton, which Christ has become one of the most iconic uh, figures in I don't know, kind of goth culture as well. Like the amount of times I've seen 
his face on logos or hoodies. Oh man, they franchised and merchandised the shit out of that fucking movie. It kind of made me hate it after a while. Well, it didn't, but like, you get sick of seeing too much merchandise. Um, Catherine O'Hara is the love interest in it. Sally, the ragdoll creation. Um, So she's the... forgot about that. She's uh, Kevin's mother in Home Alone, and she's she's in Beetlejuice, another Tim Burton classic with uh, Michael Keaton. Um, that's so, another yeah, that's one I cool. watch. Yeah, no, actually, Tim Burton has a good few films now. I watch around Halloween, like uh, Bill Bill Juice is another one, I believe. His earlier yeah, movies, that came before. like his '90s movies, and I guess early 2000s were great, you know. But I, the last handful, I wouldn't have been as interested in them. That might have just coincided with me getting a bit older, though, and and, and not caring as much about Victorian era gothic fantasies over and over. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like you know you you can't fault him for his older films and uh, Gremlins so yeah we, we had a bit of a team there with Nightmare Between uh, god damn it Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas and Gremlins both being sort of Christmas slash horror Halloween movies um, yeah, I guess I guess Gremlins would be more Christmas orientated, like it's set during Christmas and everything. But I found yeah. weirdly enough, now Gremlins would be a film that I was somewhat scared of growing up. And oh yeah, I that's not it, weird at all, man. Everybody was yeah. when we were a kid. I think this and I think it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think these are the films that really pushed the um, the MPAA, I believe, in Hollywood to introduce the uh, PG thirteen label. So up until that point, it was either parental guidance or 15 like basically there was no in between so yeah there's i think these films really kind of produced uh realized that look there are kids that do want to watch these type of films but they definitely need like parental uh, guidance at the same time but uh yeah no i definitely love gremlins guys uh, I, i'm more of a fan of the second one but when it comes to but you can watch that all year round i don't think it's not set during christmas <laughs> the second one is just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> but it's brilliant like and i i <laughs> i had heard like i remember reading about it before like a big nerd and uh hearing that it was you know intentionally the entire thing was just as ridiculous as possible it was a co- it was a comedy from the get-go really unlike the first one which was a bit more serious overall um yeah. but like i was watching a key and peel you know those comedy central guys i was watching one of their sketches on youtube recently and it was a send-up of the creation process that the, the early one of the early boardroom meetings for plot elements of gremlins 2 and oh, right. uh, one of them uh, <laughs> and supposedly it's incredibly accurate to a scene that was described by i don't know is it joe dante or whoever uh the director of the first movie and i i think the second um but this kind of uh, flamboyant, uh, gay, very coked up sort of a sort of a man waltzes into the boardroom and just starts taking over the process completely, like sidling up beside every person along the table, <laughs> asking them to say their first thoughts for like gremlin ideas, and and just instantly saying, "Okay, that's going to be in the movie. That's in the movie. Oh, a flying gremlin, yeah, put him in there too." And he turns into <laughs> yeah. a he turns into a gargoyle. Okay, great. Oh, and then you've got a gremlin that's like a super genius, and he can talk. And he, uh, um, then you've got a, a, a female gremlin, uh, you know. And um, God, I, when I talk about the video, it doesn't sound funny at all. But I promise you, <laughs> you should look it up. Key and Peel Gremlins too. It's very good. 
they're more visual comedy than anything like <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> they're and very like, you had to be nice there spotty memory <laughs> it's never going to be regurgitated very well is it yeah but speaking of Jordan Peele, this is Halloween, and he has become something of a, a horror auteur. Weirdly enough, you would honestly, if you told me that five years ago, like <laughs> Jordan yeah, Peele of all that. people, because he is a great comedic actor, and I found like he's very kind of uh, like facially, he's like Jim Carrey he uses a lot of emotions to act out his kind of his comedy. But uh, seeing him go from that to this you know uh, somber quiet humble like auteur director you know tortured artist like it's really weird like but uh <laughs> no he's done he's done very well for himself jesus yeah um so like the, i've seen his three big horror films from the last handful of years um i, I was surprised that get out came out in 2017 um but anyways yeah. Yeah. um i Look, I enjoyed his films overall as an experience in the cinema. But my problem with Jordan Peele horror films is they they're visually very good, right? They've got they always have really great main actors, you know, cherry picked and uh it seems to be building towards a very cool uh plot. But then it turns out at the end of the movie after two and a half hours or whatever that it was actually just a load of nonsense. It was just a complete waste of your time and nothing satisfactory happens at the end. Like, there's no satisfying (laughs) conclusion. And uh, it acts like everything is open to interpretation. But that's just a cop-out. And, uh, yeah. Look, I went to see the last one called Nope, which is a great Mm. title uh, in its own right. Uh, I went recently with the missus and, you know, you've got Daniel Kaluuya, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Kaluuya. Um, He was also in uh, Get Out, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I need to double check that. Yep, thank you. And uh, his name is Otis O.J. Haywood Jr. Um, So his father, played by Keith David, who is uh, an acting legend. Oh, man. I know. (laughs) Keith David is brilliant. His voice is like silk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he, uh, Keith David is is Otis Haywood Senior, and they've got a horse ranch, and uh, like they start hearing screams in the sky, and the the winds pick up out in the desert basically, and uh, they hear a lot of screaming. They're both looking toward the sky, and then suddenly um, a coin falls from the sky and lodges in Keith David's eye, and it it kind of kills him and uh, really weird and uh so then otis jr oj jr is um he's left to keep the ranch going really and his sister kiki palmer whose name is uh emerald um kiki palmer is actually brilliant she's just very very funny in the movie but she she kind of helps him out and but it but it was a weird film right the screaming in the sky, it, it turns out it's not ghosts or anything. I, I don't know how much of this I should... How, how much is spoiling it, but it's been out a while now. So uh, <laughs> basically there's a UFO-type uh, object flying around in the sky and um, every now and again it swoops down um, and abducts people and you can hear all the people screaming inside it as it carries them away. Hmm. Um, and that's a cool enough con- concept, you know, but just, again... Uh, I don't know, man. Just the Jordan Peele movies, they always leave you 
with our greatly expanded story, but no explanation to anything by the end of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've only... I, I thought I saw Us, but apparently I got it mixed up with another film. But I did see Get Out, and I know what you mean. There was a point in that film where I was just like, oh man, where is this going? Well, I mean, the, the, the race angle, like what, why, is, why is it that black men are being targeted by these people? And then it gets to that scene. And again, I hope it's not spoiling. It's been out since 2017. So if you haven't seen it by now, I'd say that's it. But uh, they basically just kind of pull the curtain back and they say, there's really no reason why we're picking black men for this. You know, <laughs> it, they, they, they kind of expose all that. I thought there was like the, the whole race angle. They're going somewhere with this. This is great. And it's very topical. And it's, uh, it's speaking volumes of uh, the current climate and everything. And then it just gets to that point where it's like, oh, um, yeah, no reason. We're, we're not particularly picking you because you're black. We're just picking you because it's convenient. You know, so I don't know. I just found that kind of a, a waste. And yeah, you I don't even recall well. that detail, but that makes me annoyed. That's stupid. Yeah, no, I thought the whole it, point of it was that they were evil racist maniacs. But anyway, apparently it was only because it's the Vogue thing. Like uh, apparently because uh, you know uh, the whole like interracial couples and everything it was more of a kind of a Jordan Peele doing a, a a retrospective of how society is currently treating black people. At least that's how I got the whole thing that they're they're being put on a pedestal and they're essentially uh, being exploited as a result of it. You know, so yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I just felt oh, it, it could have been a lot more. I mean, I personally love the opening line. God, look, if I could have voted for Obama again, I would have. And that's just like, yeah, there are so many white lads like that. Do we want to break the ice with like with black people that they just bring up Obama? Like, for yeah. fuck's sake. <laughs> but no, yes, I'm very pleased to him. I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, he's kind of branched out. Shame about the, the other dude, though, I guess, uh, Key. <laughs> he was in well, Predators, yeah, and that was I... shit. <laughs> Uh, I have I haven't seen Predators or the newer The Predator film, um, mm. but I did like that recent Native American themed historic one. That was really cool um, on oh, Disney right. Plus. It's called uh, Prey. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, kind of a return to form. Here's a really natural sounding segue into the Mario film. The tra- yeah. the teaser trailer actually looks really good. I don't know. It remains to be seen. I'm gonna hold out judgment until I hear Chris Pratt's. Uh, interpretation of Mario <laughs> yeah. and to, a, to its full extent because it's I always found Mario yeah I, <laughs> I don't know what were they thinking like I, I, it was the same thing with Space Jam 2 which is uh, a diabolical piece of shit I heard so, it's an yeah. abomination yeah it's just it's an ad for all of look at all the franchises we at Warner Brothers own like that's what that's it it was an advertisement for HBO Max. It's like, look at all the content we have on our platform. You can watch this anytime. But what I found more shocking was that they didn't get Billy West back for Bugs. So mm. that was sacrilegious. Because <laughs> if the actor is alive, you know, like, why not go for it? Like, you know, why not has, uh, like, uh, cast him in the role? And the same can be said for... Uh, essentially uh, Mario's uh, voice actor I forget his name I oh really Charles Martinet yeah yeah I mean he's still going and he's not some random guy who just does Mario he did he does voices for Skyrim and other characters and other video games so he's a professional voice actor he's the real deal he's still going and as far as like I mean Christ I mean for any generation that grew up on Mario there never was a pitch change in the Mario voice like I guess for our generation 
uh, I guess when he first started talking really was Nintendo uh, Super Mario 64. But well, if you if you ignore the old cartoons from the 80s and early 90s where he was like a gruff New Yorker voiced guy. Oh my God, yeah. I forgot about those. Oh. <laughs> hey, dude, Luigi, dude, Mario... get over yeah. here a minute. You know, he used to sound like that. <laughs> and then Luigi Do the would Mario be like, dance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Luigi would be like, what do you want, Mario? What's going on? That's literally a perfect like impression of exactly the tone and everything. <laughs> that way I was just sounded. trying to eat my spaghetti sandwich over here, Mario. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank God oh. we've kind of <laughs> moved on from that. It's, it's definitely yeah. Charles Martinet was an upgrade. But mm. I did see people saying, the people of the internet were saying that to be fair, if you had Char- Charles Martinet doing the wahoo thing for like mm. two hours and yippee for the entire movie like you wouldn't really have a whole lot of emotional range and and like you know you wouldn't Mm. have a lot uh are you shuffling Um, papers nick i just did there for a few seconds but yes i I have like copious copious amounts of notes in front of me here but uh yeah no that's that that's a that's a that's a good point i mean all we know of mario's voice is like happy and jumping and like somewhat hurt like we don't we never really heard him express <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> we never really heard him express any emotions outside of that so i don't know fingers or, crossed or like when he falls crap. down a hole and he goes Wah! Yeah. <laughs> that's about it like but uh, weirdly enough, I've noticed that there is a, a considerable increasing amount of hatred for Chris Pratt. And I'm like, what? Did I miss a meeting? Like, what happened? Like, I thought Chris Pratt was supposed to be America's new sweetheart. Like, He was for a while. And then there was some rubbish spread on Twitter and social media about his church not recognizing uh... gay people or not liking gay people. And then people said, ah, oh, Chris Pratt is a member of that church. He must not like gay people. And then everyone said, oh, Chris Pratt doesn't like gay people. And and I think that was it. And then he was like, I have nothing against gay people. This is a lot of nonsense. I think we've probably spent enough time talking about uh, Halloween movies and such. I should also mention that I noticed on uh, Paramount Plus that they have the 90s uh, Scream movies and the kind of slasher oh. movies with Courtney Cox and uh, mm. the reboot version from... 2019 or something like that so i've never seen any of those i might watch scream the first one it's probably yes. not even that good i'm pretty sure i mentioned this to you a while back but in preparation for top gun maverick i watched the original top gun because i hadn't yeah. seen it growing up and i found that i myself un- unintentionally laughing through most of it as i had pretty much seen a good chunk of the film through hot shots which essentially spoofed all of top gun and yeah. Considering I'm in the same boat as yourself, I've never seen Scream, so I'll probably be unintentionally laughing at the amount of scary movie references that it'll probably trigger in my brain. So <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> something to look forward to. Like, because uh, yeah, I need to get around to watching those films as well. Like, they're a nice little time capsule of late '90s optimism. I'm sure. Uh sure. Why not? Let's let's close on that. Late '90s optimism. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank Adio. you for listening. Absolutely. God bless. We'll be talking to you soon. Mind yourselves.